Father, we are overjoyed to uh, embrace once again your word. We are thankful, but we have that word that just each day when we rise reminds us that your mercies are new every morning, that you intend to use us each day to your glory, that as we reflect your image and we spend your assets as good stewards, that you are glorified. Your name goes out with power. And many, maybe most, are convicted. There's a testimony about their rebellion. But there are some, Father, who are prepared by you and moved by your Holy Spirit, and they are reconciled back to you in Jesus Christ, but sometimes simply by the life that we have lived ourselves. And so, Father, we're just encouraged every day to rise up and embrace that. And as today we want to be, we touch that word and we are encouraged. We touch that word and we are from time to time corrected. We're protected. We're warned. All the things we need rise from your word for us to be fed in today and tomorrow and the days after that until you take us to your presence. And so, Father, as we come now to a few of the last passages that we'll we will contemplate together in the book of Hebrews. We pray that you give us wisdom and our hearts would be alert to what you want to say to us. Our minds would be alert to the words that you want to speak to us, that our wills would be open, laid out before you to do what you want to do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We saw from uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the conclusion to what I think be, that really began in chapter 10, verses 36 and following, <clears throat> that what we saw was God's call to faith, to believe Him. My children please me when they believe me, and I am not pleased when they shrink away from believing me. <clears throat> and so the writer of Hebrews challenges these people who are receiving this letter to, um, to be inspired and to be faithful. And we saw from chapter 11 all of these others from the Old Testament that he describes that have gone on before us and each of them in their own way says something particular to us. They call us to believe God for our journey because they believed God for their journey. They believed God. They have faith. And we even know some who have in our own histories history of our time in the church, who've gone on before us. And they inspire us to believe because they too have finished faithfully. And so I, I've sort of taken the last four talks from the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, what we looked at last week, chapter 12, verses 3 through 17, that we'll look at today, chapter 12, verses 18 to 29, which you'll look at next time, and our last look in the book of Hebrews, the whole of chapter 13. And I've taken these four conclusions or four summary chapters, these four call to actions because of everything we've seen in chapters 1 through 11, and just given them these titles. The one that we've already seen from chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Be Inspired. Be inspired by those who have gone on before, but most importantly, be inspired by Jesus. Look to Jesus, 
who in spite of all of, all of the pain that he suffered, in spite of the cross and all that it, it meant for him to have to pay for your sin and my sin, be inspired. And today, we're going to look at chapters tw- chapter 12, verses 3 to 17. And I think a summary statement for that could be, be encouraged. From chapter 12, verses 18 to 29 next week, be warned. And then finally, from chapter 13, be different. So he, he, he starts out today where he left us last week, or where I left you last week. Uh, think about Jesus. And when you think about Jesus, be encouraged. He's a model for endurance for us. Consider him who endured from such sinners such hostility against himself. That's what the cross was all about, a hostility towards God. Hostility for what Jesus represented. Hostility for what he said they didn't like. Hostility for for what he said about religiosity and they didn't like. Hostility for what he said about his relationship to God and they didn't like. Hostility about the condemnation that they have because of the first Adam and they didn't like. So he's a model of endurance for us. Consider him. Think about him. Mull on him. Read about him. Don't just simply think about what you think about. Think about what God has said about him. Go back and take a good look at the life and the words of Jesus. Contemplate them. Contemplate the, the promises that God has made in Jesus. Contemplate the words that Jesus makes himself of promise. Consider him. Because he endured great hostility against himself. The abuse that he took from sinners is an encouragement for us not to faint, to fall back, to question. And so that's what the writer says. Consider him so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The book of Hebrews is not about participants. It's about finishers. It's not about sprint runners. It's about marathon people. It's not about glimpses of greatnesses for 30 seconds of time. It's about the faithful plotting of believing God day after day after day in the, the calling, the place, the relationships, and the reasons that he has you where, he, where you are. But consider Jesus, because at times... There is hostility. In fact, I think as we look at the world today, we're going to see a tremendous increase in hostility. There will be great polarization between the uniqueness of Jesus and the singular call of God in Jesus and the accountability, the singular accountability that God will hold this whole world in because of Jesus. God is not inclusive from the worldly point of view. He is extremely exclusive. That only in the name of Jesus do we find salvation. So that is going to create polarization in many places of the world. As a world seems to me that is now more connected together than ever because of internet, constantly wants to talk about a misnomer they call love, which breeds an inclusiveness that is 
not even human, and definitely not biblical. The inclusiveness of Scripture is the inclusiveness of being in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every tribe, every tongue, every person. There is none that cannot come into the body of Christ, but they come into the body of Christ through this one Savior, Jesus Christ. So consider Him so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. I think we consider Him also because most of us, our struggles are not mortal. There are some in this world who do die for their faith, but for most of us, it's not mortal. We don't die. And so the, the writer adds, in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. That may come. Jesus did. But that may come for some. Probably most will not suffer that kind of, of, of persecution. But there will be hostility. If we belong to him and we belong to his message and we live his message and we declare his message, there will be antagonism. Because he comes to reveal the heart of men and women. And, and those hearts without Jesus are vile and evil and rebellious. No matter what they look on the, like on the outside, they are objects of wrath because of their position in the first Adam. And so he reminds us to not grow weary or faint-hearted and that we haven't suffered yet to the shedding of our blood. So think about Jesus and be encouraged. Because second, God uses our moments of endurance to form us into the people that He wants us to be. And so these things that happen to each of us in our own walk, because as those of chapter 11, we have our calling, we have that we have that road that He has called for each one of us, we have that life experience that rises off of our primary experience in Jesus Christ and obedience, we have it and things that come many times are allowed by God to help bring that life into focus. And sometimes He Himself moves His hands in those things. And so He reminds us, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons that's a strong word, huh? <coughs> it's a great word of grandeur. God doesn't address us as enemies. He doesn't address us as angels. <coughs> he doesn't address us as created animals. He addresses us as sons. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. And so God allows things to come in our life that reproves us, and sometimes He Himself orchestrates things to reprove us. But He does us because we're sons. And He knows that in this flesh, with the sin, the residue of sin that still is in the members of our body, with the, the not yet perfect ability to keep the focus that he wants, with the nagging things of, 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 of irrelevancies of life, and with the sin that hinders and entangles, he needs to discipline us into the children he wants us to be. Second, these things demonstrate his love. They not only come from his hand, either permissively or actively, 
but they demonstrate his love. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son who he receives. So when we wander into irrelevancies, God will bring us short. No, I don't want you doing that. Your mind is wandering too far. Your, your will is, is not in conformity to mine. Your emotions are being caught up with things that do not reflect my righteousness oh, and, oh, by the way, my good for you. And so they demonstrate his love. And so we endure them. It is for discipline that you have to endure. And so God has these things that he either allows or brings to be himself in each of our own journeys that disciplines us, occasionally chastises us, and they need to be endured to stay under these things, to not try to escape and run. In, 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 this, in the context of this, this letter, it's those people who are beginning to question, am I safer to recede into Judaism because there's not a great persecution coming from Rome under, over Jews right now? And keep my distance from Christianity. Even though I've made all these confessions, should I, should I retrograde? Should I allow myself to fade back into what was the symbol, meant to only be the symbol of the real? The, the earthly temple, merely the symbol of the eternal temple that is in God's presence. Do I recede to these things? Do I go back into the Old Testament even though I have a completed word in the New Testament because there's safety? Now, for us, it would be different. We're not coming out of Judaism. There will be other things. But for each one of us, in our course of walking with God, God is, God's Spirit is watching over us. And He wants to see us formed in the inner man by the Word of God into the people that he has created us to be. Righteousness in our image, righteousness in our actions. And so he will discipline us. And at times he will chastise us. Discipline is, is not always heavy. It's not angry. God's not angry at his children. But because we're his sons, he will discipline us. Put us into the venues Allow us to feel the pressure. Remind us of the things. And occasionally chastise us. It is for discipline that you have to endure. These times of discipline by God are demonstrations that we are indeed His children. And that's what He says. He's treating us like sons. God is treating you as sons. And if we were not His sons... He would more probably ignore us. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, if nobody cares enough about you to discipline, to build up some parameters of life, to put some bumpers out on the edges, to say inside here there is yes and okay, but outside of here there is always no. If there's no, if there's no parameters to life, if there's no bumpers out on the edges here, no borders coming from others who care for you, who are ahead of you in this journey, then he says, look, 
You're just illegitimate children. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Nobody cares about you. You don't belong to anybody. You're just illegitimate. You got here by some willful wrong action in the human sense, immoral action, and nobody cares about it. There's no father who cares enough about you to build parameters of protection, to chastise when you move beyond those borders, to remind you that inside the borders that are, there is safety, there's growth, there's maturity, that you're illegitimate. And even responsible earthly fathers discipline their sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. As we thought back, we said, thank you, Father. Thank you for putting me in this path. Thank you for protecting me from this. Thank you for saying no. Thank you for intervening at moments of danger that I didn't see or I saw and I was toying with. Thank you for intervening. Wouldn't we expect God who loves perfectly to do even better? And so the writer says, shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Life is what God is all about. God is not about death. Satan's about death. Sin is about death. The grave is about death. God is about life. And the only life he wants to give is eternal life. Not merely human life, but eternal life. Zoe life. Life consumed with the presence and the righteousness of God. Because that's where there's safety. That's where there's health. That's where there's perfect protection. That's where there's fulfillment. That's where there's multiplication. That's where there's harvest. That's where there's fruit. All of the things that even deepest in the deepest hearts of the most rebellious, they must want. That's what God wants and is provided in His Son, Jesus Christ. And so in Jesus Christ, we are disciplined that we might, as much as possible this side of eternity, partake in that righteousness. Wouldn't we expect that one who loves perfectly, to do even better? You see, because he disciplines us that we may share in his holiness. And the share in holiness is not, is not some kind of a religious rubric that has many of us in fear and boredom. It is a fullness. It is the fullness of all the image and the, and the likeness of God that he put it in Adam and Eve without the deterrent of sin. And so he says, but he disciplines us. He, God, disciplines us for our good. Never for our bad. Never for inflicting pain. Never as a knee-jerk to disobedience. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his Holiness, because holiness is where there is perfection, protection, encouragement, fulfillment, joy, that we may share in His holiness. For the moment, all this discipline seems painful 
rather than pleasant. But later, after it has some times to germinate and to seed and we respond to it, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Righteousness. You see, holiness, righteousness, hand in hand. Holiness, we might say, is who God is and the position we have with us, separateness, that we have been set apart to Him. And it takes on this concept of being holy as He is holy. But it also has this larger descriptive maybe for us, maybe, maybe a little bit more meaningful descriptive of righteousness. Because righteousness is something we can conceive, I hope, as being in action. The righteousness of his reflection of His image in us because of His Son and the residency of the Holy Spirit. The righteousness of our acts and our decisions that show that we are in conformity to how He wants us to steward where He's put us and what He's put into our hands. That belongs to Him. But He has given us responsibility to spend on His behalf. And so it, it's the center of health, not laboriousness. Health is found in holiness and righteousness. Wholeness is found in holiness and righteousness. And so the discipline brings those things on. Now I think this passage applies itself and I see six things that come out of it that sit right in the passage out of this disciplining that he calls us now to be encouraged and to take some action. The first, he says, is lift up your hope. Therefore, because of this discipline that comes and because God never makes a mistake with it, because we are sons, we're not illegitimate, because we belong to Him, because His Spirit wants to work in conformity to the righteousness and holiness that He has recreated us to possess in His Son, Jesus Christ, lift up your hope. Therefore, lift your drooping hands. Because of all this discipline and this this, this God's positive action in your life because you are a son. God's activity in your life because you're a son or a daughter. Because we belong to God. Lift up your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet. So take a look at yourself. Take a look at the hope. The whole of the book is all about the hope we have in Jesus Christ because He is greater than, greater than all of these things we saw in the first several chapters. And He's complete. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And we are complete in Him. So He says, look it, lift up your drooping hands. Don't be despondent. Don't say, oh, this is miserable, this is horrible, I don't need this, what did I do? You, listen, God loves and He loves to put you in the middle of His blessing. And, and holiness and righteousness are the, blood, the middle of that. And yet we need to be formed into that. And only as this relational discipline with God comes into effect as children of God, sons of God, not illegitimate, do we then get these borders built and the areas of no and the chastisements that we need to form us. Lift up the drooping hands. 
Strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths. Lay the path out straight because that's what God wants you to work in. Think about it. Look out in front. You see Jesus out in front, so you look out in front in obedience to what God wants. Lift up your hope. Number two, be healed so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. You see, God uses discipline to heal. Again, holiness and righteousness are the center of health. We are whole. We're not just related to God in some, some um, declarative way. We are related, related to God in an interpersonal way. We are children of the living God now and forever. We have been restored to the righteousness. We have been restored to the relationship. We have been restored to the holiness that he intended us to have in the first Adam and Eve, but we gain in the last Adam. And that walking in the center of that is the center of health and wholeness and maturity, of joy, of satisfaction. And because we still have in our members this flesh doing war against that new thing that God has set up in our heart, God has to discipline us to protect us from crossing the borders of danger chastise us when we get too close, but constantly nurture us inside of that as a father would in discipline. Instructing, teaching is not all about a ruler on the hand or a belt on the butt. That's not what it's about. It's about the instruction that we get from the Spirit of God that disciplines us into the people that God wants us to be. So he says, be healed so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Third, he says, be at peace with others and holiness in relationships. Strive for peace because God's disciplining you and you know we are imperfect and they're going to fail and we're going to fail. We're going <coughs> to test the boundaries of, of the fullness of God wants. Sin is going to entangle and, and other things are going to hinder um, but as God begins to bring wholeness and completeness, as we get beyond the threshold of belief and learn to distinguish good from evil, be at peace with others. So strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So we have this peace with other people and we have this holiness in relationships, this set-apartness, this distinctness. Imperfect, of course, until this body dies, it will be imperfect. But there's this growing awareness of God disciplining us, of forming us, of nurturing us, of instructing us, of chastising us from time to time that gives us satisfaction about our position in Him and our walk in Him. And so we have hope. And we are healed. And we're able to be at peace with other people, even when they are not with peace with us. That doesn't mean we're good buddies with everybody. Because there are those, even in the church, who in their immaturity are going to be antagonistic in relationships. But we seek out peace everywhere possible. And holiness in our relationship to God 
and to each other. Because without holiness, no one's going to see the Lord. So there is this expectation that because we belong to Him, He will form us. Because if He wasn't forming us, instructing us, disciplining us, that's that, that word has the fullness of all that, that we're just illegitimate. We're not His children. But because we are His children, He is active with us. And so we can begin to take on decisions and actions that reflect that holiness. And where it doesn't show, there is something wrong. Four, take care of each other. Lift up your hope, be healed, be at peace with others in holiness and righteousness, and take care of each other. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And this is a difficult one because my wife and I discuss all along, to what degree do we have a right? To what degree is there a biblical expectation? To what degree is there a, an expectation that as people who have been in Christ so long, we would have the openness, the desire, the audacity, some would say, to intervene in other people's lives where they are walking outside of the boundaries that God has set for them. To at least ask the question, if you really are a child of God and you're not illegitimate, then where is the holiness? Or more specifically, where is the holiness in that decision that you're about to make? See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And so there is some sense in which we take on a little bit of that discipline responsibility that God has in our life, that instruction, that uh, maturing, that discipling, because that, that word is indicative of all those concepts. It's not, it's not a harsh word. It's a forming word that we do have that responsibility with other people, that we would see that they don't fail in getting there. Now, it is amazing that people don't like that. But those whose hearts are open to the formation that God wants from them, those who are open to the fact that they are new in the faith or they're behind others who are in the faith, those who recognize the extension and the growth and the maturity in the faith of other people ought to be open to the fact that matured, mature, much more matured people, those who have shown that they know how to distinguish between good and evil, they would invite that into their life. Why? Because we don't want to see anybody who has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ fail to obtain the fullness of that grace. Lift up your hope. Be healed. Be at peace with others. Take care of each other. Four. Five, I'm sorry. Protect yourself from roots of bitterness. And that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it, many become defiled. One of the things you want to guard for, those who are mature want to guide for, is roots of bitterness. Now, they're going to come. They're going to come from people who are in the body who don't belong to Jesus. And they're going to, they're going to respond to relationships in the church just like they would outside of the church. They don't belong to Jesus. And so they're going to be seeds of deceit and deception and bitterness that get sown by them. Because wounded people have bitterness. And they will use that bitterness in their relationships. But there are even those in the body of Christ who are newer. Some whom are not newer. 
but have not learned to discipline the bitterness of their life, have not allowed the full healing of the Spirit of God to begin to take root in their life so that these things that don't belong to holiness get moved out one by one by one over time, of course. So one of the things we have to do is do everything we can in pursuing peace to protect the body and, importantly, our relationships from a root of bitterness. Sometimes it's unavoidable, but where possible, we recognize it, see it, confront it, and see what God does because it, it will cause tremendous, hellish disruption in the body of Christ. Protect yourselves from roots of bitterness that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble because by it many are defiled. And then finally, protect yourselves from immorality. Lift up your hope, be healed, be at peace with others in holiness and relationships, take care of each other for each other, protect yourselves from roots of, bitter, roots of bitterness, and protect yourselves from immorality. And so he says finally in these words that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal, gave it all up in capriciousness and rapidity for one single meal. That's how much he regarded his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing which was connected to the birthright, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. And so, out of this discipline by the Spirit, by God, this forming, this instructing, this teaching, this protecting, this chastising, that we are called to endure, to stay under, literally, comes these six things as admonitions and applications. And this final one, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. And so we, we see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace by protecting ourselves from the roots of bitterness and protecting ourselves from immorality. Two very specific applications of immorality that speak clearly to the world today. Because where there is a root of bitterness, there is a strong seed of willfulness. I want my way. And those are things that, that become crucified over time in Jesus Christ that we begin to understand that love, after the form of God, is a self-giving kind of love. That it champions the other and not self. It is like we already read from Philippians 2, that let this idea be in you that was in Jesus Christ, who, even though he was God, took upon himself the form of a servant. And then finally, in a sexually out-of-control world that we would intervene sometimes, but especially in our own heart, watch for the immorality that parades in the world that wants to entice and entangle and cause us to fail. So now, Father, we say thank you for these words and pray that it would use them in our lives to embrace 
the formation by, of the Spirit in our lives that gives us barriers, parameters of protection and cause us to remember that in holiness and righteousness there is wholeness and safety. We thank you for these words and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.